You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. It's times like these, Nada, that I am so happy that the NBA is able to be played in a bubble. How about 17 players now? For the Miami Marlins that have tested positive for the coronavirus. And here we are, the NBA, knock on wood. I'm doing it as we speak, but we're two days away, and yet we haven't had any two serious problems that have gone on with the Orlando bubble. How excited are you that we are going to get basketball in a couple of days with, so far, everything going according to plan? Okay, I'm glad you said so far, because otherwise I might have yelled at you. But so far, it looks good. I'm not going to get excited yet. Let me see what they tip off. And we have a long way to go. Three months is a long time. And someone else is going to go to an Orlando establishment to get some wings. We have Rashawn Holmes. I, I like, I don't know. I want to be excited about this. I really do. I really, really do. I want basketball back. I need basketball back in my life. Just please don't be stupid, guys. Uh, please. I echo that sentiment. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast and follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Um, yeah, not a, I would completely agree with you. I'm excited, man. Like we've got Zion practicing on Wednesday and mm-hmm. then we're going to get the Pelicans and the Jazz. I don't know how much Zion is going to play because of the lack of conditioning that he got, but at least we're going to get some basketball then. And then we'll get we the are. two LA teams battling it out between the Clippers and the Lakers. I was always really intrigued by the postseason storylines. I'm hoping that everything can go continue go to uh, according to plan because I th- this postseason one we're starved for sports but I always thought this postseason was going to be fantastic no it's going to be fantastic and now it's just going to be AAU style and for those of us that have not watched an AAU tournament in a long time then welcome we get to do this with NBA stuff and more importantly we get some interesting camera angles like Walker did, did you see that video of uh, Chris Paul throwing that pass that looked like it was from came from 2k Like, that was one of my favorite things. Like, yo, if we're going to get some new camera angles, we're going to get some new ways to tell stories. Yo, I'm always going to be here for the interesting content, man. Uh, I'm going to be here for the content as well. We at least have content now, and they come in the way of player evaluations. They come in the way of player capsules, and we've been going through those a little bit here and there. We went through all player capsules last week. We got through five players on the Hornets roster, and yesterday we took a break to talk about James Borrego, some of the comments that he had when we talked with him on the wake-up call yesterday morning. Mm -hmm. But as you heard last week, our next guy up, it's going to be Cody Zeller a longtime player, one of the old guys now on the Hornets roster. And one of the few Bobcats, man, I'm trying to think how many other former Bobcats are currently on the roster. Uh, Technically Bismack, and that's it. Yeah, is that it? Is it just Cody who has been here consecutive years? Yeah. You're right. Yeah, Bismack's the only other OG Bobcat. And then he even left. It's Cody Zeller that only saw um, the last year of the Bobcats. I, I think that's right. I can't think of anybody else right now. But yeah, Cody Zeller here for what it is uh, now seven full seasons under his belt with the franchise here uh, in Charlotte. And it's a new era here, Nada. I mean, we've talked about some of the old guys that have been on this team for a long time, like Cody Zeller and even MKG. You know, then you talk about some of the guys that are 
that were here for a long time, mm-hmm. but really it was with the 2016 playoff appearance that they had. Nick Batum is still on this team, but mm-hmm. uh, Marvin Williams is now gone. And, you know, Kimball Walker, he's certainly now gone. Cody and MKG Zeller, was gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. MKG is gone. And so now Cody Zeller, he's one of the few. And we'll get to this in the second segment. It'll be interesting to see how much longer he stays with the Hornets because he is, I think, just as, as much of a trade piece as anybody on this yeah. roster and could be moving on to a different team. Let's talk about the year that he had by looking at the numbers. You look at what he did um, points per game wise. He averaged 11.1 points per game on 52% shooting eight attempts from the field. Uh, he did expound his three point shooting a little bit. I'm not going to say that he shot better. Um, no. His field goal percentage from beyond the arc was not good. It was only 24%, but he did <laughs> average over one three-pointer take in a game. If you look at the totals that he made, yeah. he only made 18 on 75 that he took. So it's not that that ever actually came around to his game. He's still not a guy that you have to respect at the three-point line, but he at least took more this season to try to dabble in that. And, um, you know, so be it. It's not anything that I think he absolutely did a good job at, but whatever. That's something that he tried to add to his game. His effective field goal percentage was 54%. Uh, His rebounding numbers actually was a career high in rebounding at 7.1. He did also in 23.1 minutes per game. You look at some of the rebounding percentages or just look at some of the advanced stats. His rebounding percentage actually did go up this season. 16.7. That was a career high. His defensive rebounding percentage was 21.2. That was a career high. His offensive rebounding percentage was 12.6. That was a career high. You look at his usage, 20.8, a career high usage percentage for Cody Zeller. You look at his turnover percentage, it was 11.9. That was down from the previous two years that he played. With the Uh, ball in his hand more. Yeah, right. The defensive box plus minus, that was not very good. But again, all the defensive numbers are going to be bad for all of these players when the team as a whole is bad defensively. Maybe he wasn't as good as he has been in years past, but honestly, that's not anything that I look and say, yeah, Cody Zeller was a disaster on that end of the floor. I think overall, Nada, Cody gave me a lot of what I expected from him this season. I I think I'm one of these guys that I think Cody Zeller is a good basketball player. I think I, I would take him any day of the week on a team that needed a athletic big guy who was willing to run rim to rim, who maybe isn't going to be the rim protector. That's something that he struggles with protecting the rim. His, you know, his blocks per game went down, I believe double what they were. It was 0.8 last season. It was only at 0.4 this year. So, you know, I understand that he's not going to ever be the rim protector, but I trust him playing defense. I trust him making smart decisions on offense. We ran uh, the offense through him at the very beginning of the season. And then they just didn't go back to him, right? Like James Borrego decided to not have him be even the facilitator. Like we even saw him preseason, not yeah. we saw him have a, a lot of usage. So, you know, it, it was weird the way that Borrego decided to go to him and then go away from him. Um, overall though, I, I, I am a fan of Cody Zeller. I think he's a good basketball player. And, and even if Doug Branson might roll his eyes, even if it is, in large part because of the eye test, I think this is a good uh, a good basketball player that any team would be happy to have on their roster. No, he, he was a solid basketball player. He was one of the more consistent guys that you could roll, rely on for some for a stretch. I mean, he had point again. His point totals, his offensive numbers were some of the best that we'd ever seen. And the only thing is, the the crazy part is, this was I would say his one of his worst offensive ratings uh, in terms of advanced stats. And yet he was more effective with the ball in his hand more than we've ever seen him before. 
Now, granted, there that still came with the caveats. Yes, you couldn't rely on them to score double d- digits very often. And the other thing that I found very interesting from the season is, remember, he didn't start after a certain point in time. They were basically rotating Bays in. They were rotating Billy Herney Gomez in. They were rotating a guy like um, they, they were again, they kept rotating centers and you saw him come off the bench. And it made me wonder at some point, are we going to see Cody Zeller come off the bench because uh, for this team, because he seems to be more effective in the role where he's his body is used more sparingly and more for crunch time minutes going forward. Well, look at the beginning of the season, Nada. I mentioned they were kind of running the offense through him at times. You look at the first five games that he played. He all he scored double digits in all five of them. 15 against Chicago. Uh, he was inactive in that game against Minnesota. But then he played um, against the LA Lakers. He scored 19, scored 14 against the Clippers, scored 12 and then 10 in the Kings and the Warriors game. And he played... 30 minutes or basically 25 minutes or more, I should say, in the first four games that he was a part of that Golden State Warriors game. He just played under 20. But look at the the minutes, how they drop as soon mm-hmm. as he gets done with the Kings game, 35 minutes for him in that one. Then he goes to 1939, 17 minutes, 19 minutes and two seconds. And then he gets an uptick in minutes again um, for the next five games. And then they bring him back down to about 15 minutes a game. Like Cody Zeller was a guy, not a that I think had his role jerked around quite a bit from James Borrego. And I don't know how much that bothered Cody. I don't think you could ever tell. I don't think it's ever anybody that's going to come out publicly and say, yeah, this is something that I got a little bothered by. He just, that's just not how Cody Zeller is going to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just kind of an under-the-radar guy, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the second segment. But you know, Zeller is someone that absolutely had his role change quite a bit throughout the season where he would be inactive for some games as the Hornets were looking to give some minutes to the younger guys, as you mentioned, and, and, and even experiment maybe a little bit with PJ at the five, Miles at the four. Um, you know, it, it's somebody that had to adapt quite a bit. And you know, it, if we're going to give Terry Rozier credit, certainly for having this massive role change, you know, Cody never knew what was going to come, it seemed like. I mean, it, it, it changed so often. I'll, I'll give Cody credit in that regard, where it's somebody that had to adapt quite a bit. Yeah, he did have to adapt to quite a bit. And quite honestly, like you give him some props for this. And this is one of those situations where like he... And this, again, it's one of those situations where I kind of wonder if they were doing some advanced form of load management. Like, Yeah, I, I hear you. Know, like, you may be traded. Somebody may want you. We need to make sure that you are as healthy, as fresh as possible so that we can deal you for something later on. And I think that, again, they just managed his minutes very, very well. I'm not sure he was jerked. I think if we've learned anything about Coach Borrego, we've learned that he's kind of upfront with what he wants to do. So I'm pretty sure there was a conversation about this. I'm, I'm sure there were multiple conversations about this. Well, but, sure. And, and yeah, maybe jerked is the wrong word if you use it with, you know, just this negative connotation. I really mean so mean more so just the speed in which it happened. Like, I just, I'm sure that Borrego would talk to Cody Zeller. Like, Borrego has proven to be a guy that's going to be upfront with all of his players. I, I'm not going to uh, doubt that. I just think my point is, I, I wonder how many talks they had, right? Where it's it's yeah. one big one with Terry Rozier and maybe some other conversations about the same role change where Borrego is having, I would imagine, a bunch of talks with, with Borrego is having a bunch of talks with Zeller. Like, okay, here's what you're going to be doing the next few games. Maybe here's what we're going to have you do the few games after that. Like there, there was just a lot of things that I think that 
you know, were it was just a bunch of different types of roles where, okay, we're going to have you more involved in the offense here. We're going to try yeah. to go to you early and often. Now we're going to give some of the young guys a little bit more play. It's tough when you're a veteran that is on a team that is not 100% committed to winning or else they would have held on to a guy like Marvin Williams or else they would have done everything they could to sign a Kimba Walker, right? Like that that would be 100% committed to winning right here and now where yes. the, the, the overall objective is to get your young guys up to speed to the point where you can rebuild. And, and I'm a fan of that approach. It's just hard on a guy like Cody where we know what you are. And yeah. it, it, it's just what we know what you are and we need to find out what these other dudes are doing. Maybe you can bring the most out of them in some instances. Maybe you need to allow them to be on the court where you sit on the bench in some instances. But he did have to adapt to a few different roles. No, he absolutely did. And that was one of the crazy parts was that he adapted and he adapted well. And on top of that, it would, again, he he had some of the best, like we keep highlighting, he had some of the best numbers during this exper- experimentation period. So if anything, he got to show that how adaptable he was to multiple roles this year. And that's something that I don't think can be understated enough. Like you just have to remember that Cody Zeller will get, will do everything that you ask him to. And while that may not show up in the box score, which I know Doug Branson is listening <laughs> I love it. We have and to rolling his eyes, <laughs> we have to, we have to, but even though like it's one of those things you don't necessarily see in the box score, it's also one of those things that's very, very necessary. And when you start talking about, and I know it's a little early because we, we're not getting to the narrative part yet, but it's one of those things where I wonder if they do keep him here because he is a guy that has shown that he's willing to do anything to help the team. And if Marvin's gone, who's that going, who's that going to be? Who's up next for that? And that's why I kind of wonder if Zeller's here for the long term. Man, look how much he was rebounding at the beginning of the season because he was playing all those minutes. He started off the season with 12 rebounds, 14, 13, and 15. And then he wouldn't get back to 12, which he had at the beginning of the season, until you got to the Indianapolis game on December 15th. That would be the next time that he would actually have 12. He would have a few 10 rebound games here and there, but but not much. But again, it's because the minutes would go down. You look at his rebounding percentage, like I said, it was a career high um, as a whole and defensively and even offensively. One other number I want to get to, the screen assists were down this year, but also oh, no. not a... Well, right. <laughs> oh, no. That's something, yes. Uh, the screen assists were down for Cody Zeller. Uh, we, we can't even use that as a stat anymore. Like We, we had so few to work with anyway. Um, but again, I think that's more like, you don't have Kimba, you know what I'm saying? Like if the screen assists are down, then it's Kimba Walker not being here. It's just a young group of guys where you have so much chemistry developed with Nick Batum. You have so much chemistry developed with Kimba Walker. You have so much chemistry developed with a bunch of dudes that you had played with the six previous seasons where you you have to adjust with some of the new guys on the team. And so I, I, that's even more of a chemistry stat going down understandably so because of all the new faces, all of the guys that you're trying to bring up to speed to be a part of a rebuild. Yeah. And it's one of those, yeah, like literally bringing guys up to speed and that's where a guy like Cody Zeller does help. And I'm starting to wonder, because again, we wonder who's calling out the defenses. Was it miles? Was it Cody? One once Marvin left. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was more Cody than, than anyone else really. And that's where this all gets really, really interesting going forward because again, you need someone to help with the transition. How much longer do they hold on to a veteran like Cody Zeller when they've already lost so many other veterans? We'll talk about that next on the Locked on Hornets podcast, a part of the Locked on Podcast Network. This is Locked on Hornets. 
Well, don't let, hold on. Don't let me end my take on that because that's not what I mean. I don't mean that he shouldn't nope, be in the NBA. No, that's what you meant, and no, it's disrespectful. I mean that. You're Anthony Tolliver. I'm Trevion Graham. That's who I love. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. One thing I want to get to with Cody as well this year, Nada. Mm-hmm. How about this one? This is no small feat. Cody didn't have any injuries this year. No, not yeah. any significant ones anyway. Yeah. We're not talking about a ton of games that were played in the NBA season as a whole. And this is someone that played majority of them. He played 58. Um, he started 39 of yes. those 58. So yes, he, you know, he appeared in quite a bit, but he didn't start every single one of them. But it's also a guy that you look at the last two seasons prior to this one. Um, he played 49 games the season prior. And in 2017-2018, he played 33 in 2016-17, he played 62. And then the, the first three seasons that he had in the league, he actually wasn't all that much of an injury liability. But this is someone the last three seasons before this one, he missed a significant portion mm-hmm. of the games. We can go back to a few years ago when the Hornets, I think it was something like a 3-17 and 17 record that they had when Cody Zeller was not on the floor. Something that always just, it seemed to affect the Hornets when he was not on the roster. And you look at him at least helping his trade value a little bit, Nada. Yeah. If, if other people feel the same way we do, where we think Cody Zeller is a valuable player in the NBA, the one thing that would have made you not go after him, it's his injury history. And perhaps this season was enough evidence. It, it, maybe not to exclude the, the previous three seasons, but maybe it was. It certainly helped you um, to maybe give you enough evidence that, you know what, this is a guy that can give you a full season, especially if you, you can somehow, you know... Manage his minutes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, do the load Exactly. No, the, no, that is, um, again, th- that was the big thing. Like, he showed, again, we go back to the first segment. Literally, he showed his versatility in managing. Again, once you manage his minutes, once you put him in situations where he can succeed it's funny how you get more out of him. And I think if we're going to start looking at Cody Zeller towards the future, his best role might be sixth man big, which is not necessarily a bad role to have or a guy that you start, you start him and then you play maybe the first six, seven minutes of the game, get someone else in there for a bit more small ball and then bring him back to close out games. Because again, one of the big things that he does really, really well is that he covers the pick and roll. Well, now granted, that's gotten worse and worse as time has gone on. So that's something that I would probably worry about per se is that his pick and roll defense where it used to be like no one would really go after him on defense. Now they do. That's kind of a telling sign at some point. If it's again, if anything else, one thing about the injuries real quickly about Zeller as well, we talked about this, I think a couple times with Rick was the Hornets really invested into preventative rehabilitation, right? Yes. Where at least you would have, or I don't even know if that's a real thing, just preventative preventative uh, medicine. medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Where you would try to make sure that Cody, a guy that is an injury liability would be as healthy as much as he possibly could. And you wondered about maybe the load management, but as well as just doing some things behind the scenes to make sure that Cody was okay. And Cody gave credit to that for him feeling the best that he ever has. And we can kind of roll our eyes whenever we hear that about a player coming into the season and NFL yeah. player, NBA player, whatever. Best hey, shape really, of my life. Yeah. Best shape of my life. I'm the strongest I've ever been. I'm the quickest I've ever been. But I, I think Cody provided the proof in that where yeah. you know, he played every single game 
Um, and it's not like he, you know, it's not like he has this big decrease in minutes. I mean, he played 23 a game. It's only two less than what he did mm-hmm. a season ago. So it's not like, you know, there was this huge minutes load management. It was just, you know, it seemed like five games he would play less than 20. And then the next five games he might play, you know, 25, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the preventative medicine was a big key to that. And, and maybe that'd be something that he might look to and maybe look forward to going to if he's not traded, if he does play the rest of next season, finishes out his deal, decides to look for some money on the open market. You know, how much is that a factor in him deciding where he wants to go? Because I think clearly it, it gave him an advantage with the way that he was able to play this year. Yeah, and I, I think there are a bunch of re- deciding factors because as we know, he's a free agent next year. Um, I think preventative medicine facilities are going to be a factor. I also think that the money's not necessarily going to be there. So if the money's even everywhere else and the Hornets do offer that fifth year, which is even though that's possibly unlikely, I think he stays. And it's also going back to this, the Hornets do need a veteran guy to show kids how to work, especially if it's going to be, if you're going to run this like the Spurs, there's always that one guy that shows people how to work. And for a while, it was Marvin Williams. You don't have that guy right now. It can't be Bismack. It might be Bismack Biombo. It might not. Who knows? But it, I, I would assume, like all things being even, I would assume it's going to be Cody Zeller to be that guy that you go to. And that, I, I don't know, because that's why I think he stays. You know, point. I think that's an interesting conversation because we talk about Cody Zeller constantly being one of the most valuable trade pieces that the Hornets have. Given Mm -hmm. that, he is a veteran. He does do a lot of different things for you. He'll do anything you ask. He doesn't need the basketball, even though he's shown he can be effective when you might run some plays through him. You know, he, he does a lot of different things. But also, it's like, okay, well, we can talk about him as a trade piece, what kind of value he might bring in return. Is it two second rounders? Is it a couple second rounders in a reclamation project? Mm. Is it a protected first? Like, I don't know, but I know that contract is valuable because it's expiring. It's only yep. 15 million. So you can match salaries with 15 million and mm-hmm. it's expiring. So he comes off of the books. I do know that holds value. But one thing nobody really talks about, including us, like we don't really talk yeah. about it at all. In fact, it's the first time I think what if he is here on the other side of this rebuild? Like, like what if, what if he does play this entire season finishes mm-hmm. his contract? I, I, who knows what the Hornets do team wise, what kind of you know goals they reach, what kind of record they have, but he'll be 28 at the yes. end of this season. It's not crazy old. It's still somebody that you can have as a effective basketball player, where if you get to 30, let's say that you, let's say that he gets through this season, yes. you give him a three-year contract by the second year, you know, that's about time where we're looking to certainly take a, a pretty big step with this organization. And I'm absolutely cool with Cody Zeller being your five in that scenario, hoping that everybody else has developed. You've gotten some more talent here and there. Maybe you've spent some other money elsewhere. You know, he's making $15 million a year now. Does he go for that again? I, I mean, maybe less. I think you think he's going to get less than I do. Oh, no, I no. I think he's getting much less. I think, again, I'd be surprised... With everything that we're talking about with the financials and considering that the owners are probably going to reopen the CBA, I wouldn't be surprised to see his money cut in half. Yeah, the pandemic's effect would be interesting. So, you know, either way, it's not going to be more than 15. It's not like it's going to break the salary cap. It's not like it's going to be this awful, awful money that you have on your books. And so I think it might even be worthwhile. You know, that would be interesting. And the other question I have for you, Nada, 
is remember when Cody Zeller signed this contract that he's currently in right now? Yes. They got that done really quickly. There was not any kind of real negotiations going on to the point where it got any kind of contentious. And then Cody Zeller talked about it and after the fact, and he was like, you know what? I just wanted to get it done. You know, like Cody, yeah. Cody didn't fight. Yeah, every he didn't fight 100% of the way to try to get as much money as he possibly could. He just wanted to get it over with. And I wonder if he approaches it the same way or if it's because he's older. This might be the last somewhat bigger contract that he can get. Does he approach it a little bit differently? Or does Cody act the same way we kind of know him to be under the radar? Was like, you know what? I just want to get this thing done. I, I'm not hurting for money. You know, I'm good. I like it here in Charlotte. I want to stay here. You know, I don't know. I just, we, we always talk about him being this trade piece and, and deservedly so. It's a yeah. real legitimate possibility. But the other side of that coin is like, you know, what if what if he's here? Like, what if he's here on the other side of this rebuild? It's something we don't talk about. No, we don't talk about it enough. And the thing is, like, not everybody is looking for a winning situation. Or more importantly, just because you go to a different team doesn't mean unless you're going to a team with Steph or some other superstar that you're guaranteed to win. The grass is not always greener. So he might want to stick with the places that he knows. Now, granted, he also is of the Zeller brothers. He's had the most tenure of any of them. So he knows that his situation can change quick, fast, in a hurry. So he may value stability and he may value the fact that the Hornets may offer that fifth year. I think it's all going to come down to that fifth year. If they offer, mm -hmm. if they offer him, let's say if they offered him five for 40 right now, I think he stays. I really do because I think negotiating in the pandemic even next year is going to be brutal on everybody. And that's why, again, I, you brought it up. Like, what if he stays? And the more I think about it, the more I'm agreeing that, yeah, he, he's probably more, much more likely to stay if they don't trade him first. And even then, I'm not sure his trade market is going to be the thing that we think it is. Because remember, we all thought Marvin Williams had this great trade market and it turned out not to be so great. Why are what we assuming Cody Zeller is going to be the same thing? One other thing before we finish up here today and go to the next segment, as we talk about Cody Zeller's, you know, it, it, long term um, future here with his future with the Hornets. One other thing is, I think it is affected by whether the Hornets draft a big man this year or not. You know, if, if you if you draft an Onyeka Kongwu, if you draft a James Wiseman, does that show Cody Zeller the door faster than if you didn't? And I think it has to because. I could see Bismack Biombo coming back on the vet minimum, him being the veteran that you want to pair this young big man with and allowing Cody Zeller to walk, get off of that money, especially if there is some real value out there for Cody. If there is the team hungry for a big man and they're just needing the one guy that helps them do a whole lot of different things. And, you know, and, and, and they, you do get like a, a, I don't know, a protected first round pick. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, I think that's something you would absolutely do, especially if you have a big man already on your roster. And so it'll be interesting to see the kind of effect a, a Kung Wu or a Wiseman might have on Cody Zeller and his long-term future here with the franchise. See, I don't necessarily agree with that. Because, I again, I can easily see them saying, hey, Cody, if you take the pay cut, you can stay. I can see, but I also see a scenario where they're keeping three centers and it's Billy Hernan Gomez on his way out rather than a guy like Bismack Biombo, who, again, seems to be at least the Malik Monk whisperer. And I, again, <laughs> I, I see there's so many ways that this goes, but 
for the mo- the longer I think about it, the longer I think that Cody Zeller is probably going to end up being here because it makes more sense for him to be here in terms of consistency for the franchise and for him himself. All right, Zach Lowe came out with an article, put it on ESPN, and PJ Washington is among his groups that make the all-rookie team. Was it the one that we want him to make? We'll talk about it next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. All I have to go off of is write-ups and highlights and some video tidbits on Twitter because I was not able to watch this game. Tidbits, like tidbits? That's a, well, it's a great word, tidbits. It, I mean, that's just a, a funny word, tidbits. I want to use it every single day. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. We discussed Devontae Graham, one of the only Hornets that have a real chance at coming away with some hardware this season. Even if I don't think it's going to happen, he certainly does have a shot. Um, I heard Eric Collins talking about this. And real quickly, not I'll get to Devontae Graham before we get to P.J. Washington. You know, I heard Eric Collins talking about this on Rosinski and Yarborough. And of course, Eric is going to be the guy that's going to cape for any Hornet that has a chance to get the award, right? Understandably yes. so. Like, that's cool. I, I want Eric to be the homer. I, I love Eric Collins. He's fantastic. And I want him to be all good things surrounding the Hornets. And so you kind of you take it with a grain of salt. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. you know, Eric, of course, he wants Devontae to win. You know, he did bring up this point, though. He was like, it's not even close who the most improved player of the year award is, uh, who should go to. It's Devontae, which I disagree with. But the point he made was that if you look at Bam Adebayo, who is going to be in competition with Devontae, if you look at Brandon mm-hmm. Ingram, who is, he is going to be in competition with Devontae, you know, those guys weren't in the G League as a third-string player last season. Devontae was, and so he vaults all the way from the G League to a legitimate um, person in at least the conversation of whether he could get to the All-Star game as reserve this season. I think the second half has to weigh in heavily on that. But yes. it is interesting, right? Like, we did have that conversation surrounding Devontae. He still was a guy that could help you in different ways, even if his shooting went to shreds in the second half of the season. And so it's like, okay, what, what's more impressive of an improvement? Is it Devontae going from G League third-string player um, where he didn't shoot well at all on the whole season last year mm-hmm. to, to where he was this season? Um, or is it Bam Adebayo where people were high on him, but he goes to a different level where he's a legitimate offensive option, where he's one of the 10 best defenders in the league compared to a guy like Brandon Ingram, who you know did a lot of things a lot better this year that you know, he just expanded upon what he could already do in a much better way. It's like, okay, I get you. You know, like I, I just I just weighed the second half of Devontae's shooting performance so heavily mm-hmm. on on how I thought he should get this award or whether he should or not. And it's like, okay, you're right though. I mean, G League to where he was, it is a crazy improvement for the former Kansas product. No, he's right. No, like Eric's right about if we're going strictly by the definition of most improved, going from G League player, like G League stalwart to probably top 25 point guard this year, that's, again, he wins. Devontae wins. If we're going to be literal, the problem is there has never been a functional definition of most improved, and this is how they like it. And unfortunately, like, I like Devontae. I don't, and again, we've already, me and you have talked about this just yesterday. Mm -hmm. I don't think Ingram belongs on the ballot because you're a number two pick. If you're a number two pick, you don't deserve to be on the ballot. You're not going to be one of those that does, again, you're expected to be as good as you are. Point blank, period. Out of bio, I get it because you are a late 
again, you are in that Malik Monk slash Donovan Mitchell slash, again, corridor. I get that. There's part of me that, like, and this is where I have the issue, and this is why I went Christian Wood, because if you're not going to give it to Devontae, then give it to a fellow guy that had been toiling around in the G Leagues and on the 11th man, 11th, 12th man of rosters all along. And if you're going, like, literally, if you're going to go most improved, it should be either Christian Wood or Devontae Graham. I don't think Bam, I don't think Brandon Ingram belong on that list for most improved at all. All right, so let's go to the other Hornet that has a chance to get some kind of acknowledgement for an achievement this season, and that's P.J. Washington. Zach Lowe came out with his list of who belongs on the first all-rookie team, who belongs on the all-rookie second team. And the first team includes Zion Williamson, John Morant, Brandon Clark, Kendrick Nunn. No surprises with the first four. And then it's really the fifth spot that it all comes down to. And Zach Lowe names Eric Paschal for the Golden State Warriors as the last member of the first team, all-rookie team. Then P.J. Washington is slotted there in the number one spot for the all-rookie second team. P.J. just missing out on the top five rookie spot. Nada, what are your thoughts with Zach Lowe going Eric Paschal over P.J. Washington? I'm convinced that somewhere, somehow, someone in that office, in the Charlotte Hornets office, has done something bad to Zach Lowe. <laughs> because I can't explain. No, I, I literally can't explain it because there's no way that you can see Eric Paschal's year and you can see P.J. Washington's year. And P.J. Washington playing in more games that mattered than, than Eric Paschal did and then say somehow, some way, that Eric Paschal was better this year. I like Pascal, but this is also one of those times where the organization gets the benefit of the doubt over the guy with the organization that doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. And it's beyond annoying. And I just, I could not functionally disagree more saying again, and more importantly, if you say Eric Pascal is better than PJ Washington or had a better season than PJ Washington, you should lose your ballot. I'm sorry. That's the way this has got to go now. I have Zach respect. Lowe should, should lose his ballot over this. Yes. <laughs> Do not vote on the rookies. Do not. Please stop. Um, so his reasoning for choosing Eric Pascal over PJ Washington was this. He says the first four no-brainers. And then he goes, the final first team spot came down to Washington, Pascal, Terrence Davis, and Tyler Hero. Terrence Davis was probably the best two-way player of the group. He took well to a bit role on offense, canning almost 40% from deep and sneaking for well-timed cuts. How do you weigh Davis fitting in on a good team against Washington and Pascal doing more heavy lifting on awful ones? There is no right answer. Hero is in the middle, an important off-ball threat on a good team. He's also the worst defender of the four. He would go on to say, P.J. Washington canning 37% from deep bodes well for his future as a rotation player and a potential fourth-fifth starter on a good team. Pascal bonked threes, but hit 55% on twos. He showed more ability than Washington to create for himself and others with a bruising off-the-bounce game. Pascal used that skill a little selfishly early, but found a better balance. He will grow into a stout defender with nimble feet. So that's why he went with Eric Pascal over P.J. Washington. For future, for future value? Wait, hold, hold. So, so, so that confuses me even more now. Because if you're going to go future value, there's no way I'm taking, again, Eric Paschal over P.J. Washington. Here's why I would go P.J. I think that P.J. Washington, 
did I, I think here I'll go with Eric Pascal. I think Eric Pascal benefited a lot with the counting stats, with the overall yeah. usage that he provided because of the way that everybody worth the damn on that Warriors roster went down. And they went down hard and not that they went down early. I mean, you you don't have Steph, you don't have Clay Thompson, you have D'Angelo Russell out here, I guess, but still Eric Pascal is a guy that benefited so much from having those other guys go down. And I'm not saying he benefited in a way that allows him to win more games, but just to have the counting stats that helped him, then I think that's why you look at Eric Pascal and think, yeah, this is the reason why he's up there. And look, I'm not saying he didn't have a great year for a rookie. I think he did a really good job. I, I don't, I don't want to take a ton away from him, but when you compare him to a guy like PJ Washington, yeah, PJ hit a couple of rookie walls, but also it's someone that it's not like he had a ton of usage, right? Like you still mm-hmm. had Devonte Graham. You still had Terry Rogier that was eating a lot of the basketball for you. And PJ was still out here as one of the best Hornets on the team throughout mm-hmm. the season. I, I'm going to go with PJ as who I would have. I, I think he was better than Eric Pascal. I, I, I like Pascal a lot. I just would have put him over Pascal. I would have put him over Tyler Hero. The other four certainly are locks, but I'm with you. Not a like, I'm not with you that Zach Lowe should have his ballot taken away from him. Um, I don't disagree nearly as emphatically as you do. I, I get the argument for Pascal. I just think PJ, w- with the kind of team, what he benefited from, I think Pascal benefited so much from all of those guys going down so early and getting so much awareness for what. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like we're giving him the reward for carrying a bad team, but at the same time, PJ Washington did again in Zach Lowe writes it. He's like PJ Washington carried the Hornets for stretches. He did again. They don't win the, the bowl, the opening night against the bulls without PJ Washington. They're like, I just, I have a hard time reconciling. <laughs> like, I, I just, I have a hard time reconciling any sort of way where Eric Pascal had a better season. And outside of the counting stats, I really just have a hard time. Like, I can understand if you said Terrence Davis. I can understand, but even then, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> that, uh, not as angry. Uh, I did my job here. I was going to go to the outro, but I need to go to the spinning wheel of names. We do have a guest. Hey, you remembered on, on Wednesday. So remember, this is going to be for Thursday's show. I'm trying to get to the spinning wheels of uh, wheel of names right now. Um, after we had Cody Zeller, I need to erase Cody Zeller, and uh, we're good. All right, we're giving it a spin. We're giving it a spin now. Mm-hmm. Spinning, spinning, spinning. Who is going to be our player evaluation for Thursday? It's going to be Billy or Devante. Oh, Billy Hernan Gomez. Like, l- let me ask yes! you this. Yes. Hold on, hold on. Let's let let's call a timeout. Billy Hernan Gomez, like, how much should we really give him a player eval? Does he deserve one? Does he deserve his whole uh, his own episode for one individual player evaluation, or should we pair him with somebody? that could give us a little bit more substantial things to work with. Now, now, now I have just a better idea. Just asking. I have a better idea. Okay. Why don't we put it to the people? To, to, to see, no, I don't, I don't want to be the podcast that asks the people if we should have a whole Billy Hurd and Gomez episode and that's it. <laughs> I don't want to do that. No, we, I don't we need to, to let's happen. put it to the people. Let's put it no, to the people. No, I don't want to do that. I refuse. I refuse to do that. Nada. That's not something I want to ask the people if they only want Billy Hurd and Gomez content. I don't even know if this is a guy like, should we put, how about this? Let's, let's pair him up with a certain player. I don't know who that is yet, but I want to pair him 
with a certain like should we should we pair him with Caleb Martin like or did you want to do a Caleb Martin no 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 we were again we were going to pair the Martin twins we can't pair one we can't talk about one without the other that's just silly all right they've been paired their whole lives Walker all right screw it man what we're gonna we're here's what we're gonna do we're gonna give you a Billy Hernan Gomez episode we're gonna give you a Billy episode and maybe we can have some other content to talk about as well I don't want to do that as much as we do for the other players, but we'll do it. All right. We're, we're going to get, we're going to try to figure out some other content to talk about as well, but the NBA season starting on Thursday. So exactly. We'll do that. The yeah, NBA we'll, is going to give us something because someone is going to do something stupid. Watch. All right. That, <laughs> that wraps up this edition of lockdown Hornets. Uh, thanks again to you guys for always supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of lockdown NBA. Have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday with a guest and then Thursday with an evaluation of everybody's favorite Hornet. Billy Hernan Gomez. Mm-hmm.